On this prequel episode, we have our die-hard follow-up poll. We're talking about what makes some Christmas movies so bad and previewing Christmas with the Cranks. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode. We got all those things I talked about before just a few seconds ago, but first... We have our patron shout-outs. We have a few new patrons mm-hmm. and a few Hall of Famers, Academy Award winners. Katie, who are our new patrons? At the $2 Newberry Medal winners level, we have um, Osriel. That's how I would say Asriel. that. Asriel. I don't know. Asriel139. Mm-hmm. And at the $15 Academy Award winners level, we have Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody. Thank you to both of you for being uh, new patrons. Also, if you want to join and be a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. We have a $2 level, a $5 level, and a $15 level. Different perks at each. You'll see what those are. The $5 level is the one where you start getting like free con- extra bonus content and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. The $2 level uh, is basically supporting us, but ad-free, early access type stuff. And then the $15, you'll see what all those perks are. Go to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Our $15 patrons, you already mentioned Mr. Nobody, mm-hmm. but we have two other $15 Hall of Fame Academy Award winner patrons. And they are Alina Kulova. Hope I did that any bit of justice. Alina, if you're listening. <laughs> how do you pronounce that name? The last how to name. pronounce your name because we really Dolet want to get it right. Kulova. I, mm, I don't know. I, I think I might have been close. We'll see. You were probably closer than I was last yeah. time. <laughs> and I think last time this was Susan Pevensey's was an atheist. Yes. Uh, I appreciate that this patron is changing their name for each of the patron shout outs. I love when they do that. Uh, this time they are Bruno Rattellini is really good in Die Hard. And now I have to look up who Bruno Rattellini is because I don't know. I don't know either, but I want it to be the leftover terrorist who clearly dies and then comes back at the end. It must be. But I don't know. I'm Googling it. I'm Googling it. Oh. <laughs> it's Bruce Willis. Is that his real name? No, it's uh, his sta- his musician name. Oh. Or maybe it is his real name. As far as I know... That it's it's his because there's that uh, he had no yeah I mean his name was Walter Bruce Willis and he goes mm-hmm. by Bruce Willis but Bruno is uh, his album he put out an album mm-hmm. uh, and the album's called like the Return of Bruno and so that must be like his stage name or something like his music stage name because yeah. when I googled Bruno Rattellini Bruce Willis came up oh yeah it's a mockumentary starring Bruce Willis as this fictitious alter ego Bruno Rattellini. <laughs> So there you go. All right, fair enough. I was hoping it was one of the terrorists, yeah. but no. <laughs> all right. Uh, so yes, thank you. And again, Mr. Nobody. So thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, like I said, patreon.com slash this film is let. Let's go on and do our follow-up poll for Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. So we had a pretty good turnout on Twitter. We got 16 total votes, which is pretty good yeah. for our polls. Yeah. Um, the movie got 15 of those votes. <laughs> The book got one, but it was you. Uh, so technically, <laughs> the movie got 16 votes. Yeah. Because I tried to click on movie and either my browser, I don't remember, I think my browser did the thing where it jumped, like where something will load. Yeah. And the, and the things will jump down slightly and you'll click on the wrong thing. 
Uh, or I did it on my phone and my finger just was too big and misclicked it. <laughs> but I was trying to click on the movie and I accidentally clicked on the book. So I was you the only one. You didn't even read the book. No, no. <laughs> I commented immediately <laughs> that it was a mistake. <laughs> so yeah, all of the votes were for the movie. Yeah. Um, which is not surprising. Uh, the movie is kind of universally beloved. It, it was the same on Facebook. We only had two votes there, uh, but yeah. it, they were both. For, yeah, they were both for the movie. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people, I, I don't think, have read the book or even knew there was a book. No. So, um, but we did get some uh, comments on Twitter. Number um, one, this film is lit fan, Shelby Sunderman. Yes, Suderman. Shelby Shelby Suderman, um, who I know also read the book mm-hmm. and watched the movie. Yes. Um, and Shelby said, I went with the movie this time, although there were points that I enjoyed in the book, like the main character using the lights on one of the top floors to signal for help in Morse code. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, the top floors still have power at that time because they don't know he's there yet, and I thought it was smarter and less obvious than pulling the fire alarm, which I would agree yeah, with. We, we discussed yeah, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a little bit of a sticking point with the fire alarm. Um, the scene where he kills the first hostage and the glass cutting his feet were much more gruesome in the book. Um, I would agree with that. The movie's portrayal of Holly was much kinder than the book was of Stephanie. Yes. Uh, Stephanie was supposed to be as immoral and unlikable as her coworkers, with the caveat that she was sleeping with her boss, which c- could imply she wasn't actually capable of her job, um, which... Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment given this book's overall treatment of its female characters. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, and lastly, Shelby said, um, I absolutely loved the scene where McLean runs into Gruber. In the movie. Yeah. Um, the power book. play scenes between hero and villain are one of my favorite tropes. Um, I would have given it to the movie for that scene alone. There you go. We was, talked yeah, about that scene too. That was another big thing that I really liked about the movie. Yep. All right, fantastic. Sounds like you guys mostly agreed. Thank you for everybody who voted, and if you want to do that, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for This Film Is Lit, and you'll find us. Uh, the polls are on Facebook and Twitter, but on Instagram, we make posts about it where yeah. you can comment. And, you can and if you leave us. an interesting comment, we'll, we'll, read it. we'll read it. Fantastic. Great follow polls. Thank you. And let's move on and talk about, it's not a learning thing segment, but we're going to talk about why? Because we're, we're going to go out on a limb and say this Christmas movie is probably not going to be so good. So why are some Christmas movies not good? And why are some of them good? And what's the difference? And why? We're going to yeah. discuss. I kind of wanted to talk about like the line between a good Christmas movie and a bad Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting because I feel like the Christmas slash holiday genre really rides this line kind of hard, maybe more than any other genre does. It's possible. Maybe horror movies would be close, but yeah, I think in general, yeah. There's not a lot of like mediocre... like. Most people either are like, this is good or bad. Yeah. With Christmas movies and holiday movies. Yeah. And I feel like Christmas movies, even when we consider them good, they have a lot of elements that we would maybe elsewhere consider bad. Like, they're Mm -hmm. real sappy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're real cheesy. They're sentimental. 
We even made that one of our like central themes of yeah. a Christmas movie yeah. is that like sentimentality. Yeah, the warm fuzzy yeah. feelings. Mm-hmm. But we're generally okay with that in a Christmas movie. Yeah, we want that from yeah. our Christmas movies. So obviously taste plays a big role in it, but I think, you know, everybody has their own like I and we'll maybe get into that here in a second of like what I like in Christmas movies specifically, but that's a very mm. personal thing. But I think one of the I, I came up with some things that I think that are things that make Christmas movies bad. So we talked about what makes a Christmas movie in our prequel episode for Die Hard and a little bit in the Die Hard episode. And I think that you can basically if you want to know what makes a good Christmas movie, that's kind of those like doing those things that we mentioned well. Mm-hmm. So like it needs to do those things, but it also needs to do them well. I came up with some things that I think when it, it stuck out in my head is like these when I watch like a bad Christmas movie like this is like the things that stick out to me which I've watched a fair number a fair amount of bad Christmas movies <laughs> yeah. for good bad or bad bad like we specifically go find bad Christmas movies and it's always these kind of things that kind of stick out to me it was like three main things I mean there's more obviously but there were like three things that stuck out to me initially one, if it's a clear, like, cash grab. Mm-hmm. So, and now, I want to preface all this with, these are bad things about movies in general. Like, when these are the case, they're, they, they're just, like, if a movie does this, it doesn't matter if it's Christmas or whatever. It's a, it, it, you'll see it and you'll go like, oh, this is, you, you know, it's a bad thing about the film. But these three things tend to happen when you notice what a bad Christmas movie, almost always these three things will be a part of the reason why I feel like. One clear crack cash grab. Christmas movies have to come out every year because Christmas comes every year. So studios are coming up with a, a reason to make a Christmas movie, coming up with an idea for a Christmas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they need a Christmas movie every year. They don't have a good idea for a Christmas movie every year. So you get lots of stinkers, but they're just trying to cash in on yeah. the fact that it's Christmas and we have to put out a Christmas movie. You don't there's no time for putting out a fantasy movie. You know what I mean? Right. There's the blockbuster season and all that sort of stuff, but like that's not a specific type genre that has right. to be. Yeah, there's blockbuster season, but you could put out a blockbuster at another time of the year. Yeah, like and you, you could, could also put a blockbuster out of many different genres. Yes. It can be a comic book movie, it could be a sci-fi film, it could be a fantasy, you know, yeah. it could be Lord of the Rings, it could be a comic book movie, it could right. be Star Wars, whatever. But you're not putting out a Christmas movie in the middle of June. Not usually. Or April. It happens occasionally, but not usually. So, they have to come up with something every year, so that that kind of limits it, but or kind of uh, adds on to the the fact that they're just trying to cash in on the season. Mm-hmm. One of the ways they try to cash in is by casting like vaguely washed up big names as in the lead roles mm-hmm. that are like attention getting, but that they can also get for like not a ton of money. People like your Tim Allens. <laughs> Yeah. Or your Jamie Lee Curtis's in 2005. Now she's yeah. had a bit of a resurgence, to, you know what I mean? But she's like, she's doing better these days. Yeah, but like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, she was big in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s, you know, Halloween. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she was big in True Lies. And she's a very big actress. But like in the mid 2000s, she wasn't like knocking it out of the, you know, wasn't doing a ton of like big roles and that sort of thing. Same for Tim Allen, big in the 90s. Yeah. Home Improvement, blah, blah, blah. After Home Improvement, Tim Allen wasn't doing a lot. Santa Claus movies. You would think after the Santa Claus, he wouldn't want to be in any more Christmas movies, but... Yeah. 
but <laughs> that brings me to my second point is that so it's relatively cheap to get them because while they're big names that appeal to family member like to mm-hmm. families and parents and like oh Tim Allen I remember home improvement that sort of thing yeah. it feels like you know those kind of people that you you know they're they're market tested for the market a Christmas yeah. movie is going for um and then you can get like even more B list when you get into like made for TV movies. Right. Yes, you get your Mario like Lopez's and your yes home release and movies. your Dean Cain's and yeah, yeah, all of those things. Your, your Gary uh, Valentine's, Cameron Beer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, the, yeah, that's a whole different thing. But but, and then on top of that, like you said, those actors then you can tell are completely phoning in their performances. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that they're just there for the paycheck because they don't have any desire to be. It's not a like a, you know, they're not going to go it's win not, an Oscar a passion project. They're not going to win an Oscar <laughs> for Christmas with the cranks or, yeah. you know, and so they're there. They might be having some of them might be having more fun than others, but you can kind of tell a lot of times that they're here to get paid. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh a movie we did on Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad a few years, last year, two years ago, was, um, and now I can't remember the name of it, the one with Matthew Broderick um, and Danny DeVito. That's the one that I always want to call Jingle All the Way, but it's not Jingle, Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way is the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. one. I can't remember what it's called, uh, but Katie's looking it up. I've got you. But there are a lot of performances in that that feel very phoned in. Matthew Broderick in particular... Deck the Halls. Deck the Halls. That's why I always want to call it Jingle All the Way, their song titles. Yeah. Uh, very uh, very phoned-in performances in that movie. Um, a couple actors are having fun with it, but you can tell they're mostly there to get paid mm-hmm. for this Christmas movie that they know will... And that's the thing. The reason they, they can pay these people a little bit of money, but not a ton, is that they know the Christmas movie will make its money back because on Christmas Day, a bunch of families are going to go... And see it in the theaters because it's the Christmas movie that's out that year. Yeah. Or whatever. Second thing. Lazy storytelling. Uh, Lots of things can go into this. The big one for me is when you're uh, just recycling and reusing older Christmas stories from better Christmas movies. And putting sort of slap a new coat of paint on it and Mm -hmm. brush it out the door. Um, and now there are exceptions to that, like there's with everything, not every remake's bad or anything like that. And a lot of them, though, aren't even remakes. They're just sort of vague reimaginings of yeah. the same kind of, you know, there's a million versions of It's a Wonderful Life right. that aren't remakes of It's a Wonderful Life, but kind of are. <laughs> Which, and I mean, I I would... I would half counter, because I think you're right, I would half counter that all storytelling is rehashing the same stories. No, I agree. But I think the difference is, like, it is quality and yeah. how much effort you put into making it something that, that is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you're right. Uh, well, what's his name, the... Hero's Journey, blah, blah, blah. There's seven stories or oh, whatever. Oh, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah, There's, you know, six stories or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree that, that all, you know, every story is a recite, is recycled and everything's a remix. I'm not disagreeing with that. It's just, you. it's very easy to tell when something is a very lazy recycling. Right. And Christmas movies tend to be very guilty of that compared to 
other things that will recycle, reimagine ideas. Yeah. And now, obviously, there are Christmas movies that do it well, but uh, yeah. And then that kind of brings me to, like you said, the part of the the lazy storytelling, but I think it's a slightly different category, is that the Christmas movies try to be too broad. They mm-hmm. try to appeal to too much of an audience. To Everyone. Too wide. They, because it's a Christmas movie that comes out of Christmas time that they want everybody to bring all of their family to go see. The, they tend to be, because they're almost always, you know, vaguely like happy comedy, mm-hmm. vaguely comedy, vaguely drama, like, you know, uplifting type things. They tend to try to appeal to everyone, so yeah. they end up appealing to almost no one. Yeah. No, I agree. They're, they're, they're broad. Christmas movies are broad by their nature, but when you're trying to sell your movie to everybody, they end up so broad they become boring and uninteresting, and the humor appeals to, like, I, I don't know who, like, maybe my racist <laughs> uncle. Other than that, I'm not sure who they're shooting for. They they don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. But they well, also... Yeah, it's bland. I mean, you're appealing to, like... Your middle-aged, vaguely Christian white yeah. lady. Yeah. So they don't want to offend Sorry, anybody. Sorry, middle-aged, vaguely right. Christian white ladies. Right. But. They, they don't want to offend anybody, but by as a result, they end up offending, like, a lot of people. Like, it's, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's it. They're just, and I think that's a big result of a handful of things. One, they just, they're, you know, they're not spending a lot of time in the writing process Mm -hmm. and they're, they're trying to appeal to a million jillion different people. So, yeah, those are the three big things to me that stick out as like, whenever I watch a bad Christmas movie, almost always those three things Mm -hmm. seem to be occurring in my experience, but well, I would trust your experience. (laughs) I haven't seen a ton of what I would call bad Christmas movies, I don't often watch the good, bad, or bad, bad movies with you. Sometimes no, I do. yeah, pretty rarely. But um, you do a lot of that on your own time. Yeah. But I do like Christmas movies. Um, I grew up watching, like, you know, we had a handful that we watched mm-hmm. every year. Um, and then that list tends to grow as you find more stuff that you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, only around Christmas, though, I'm... I'm not the kind of person that like sits around in the summer and watches oh. Christmas movies. But um I don't trust these people. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh I think kind of two main thoughts about what makes a quote unquote good Christmas movie. Okay. Um and I these are pretty broad things, but we can talk about it a little bit. The main thing like we've brought up is the writing. I think you have to put enough effort into making your story as fresh as it can be in order to have an audience feel like they're watching something that is both new and yet also familiar. Yeah. Because familiarity, I think, is an important aspect of a Christmas movie. I mean, that's where we get that sentimentality Mm -hmm. from, right? Yeah. It's because because the Christmas movies trade on nostalgia without... In the first time you watch them, they're trading on your nostalgia. Like, they're yeah. they're selling you nostalgia. Whereas, you know, like, certain movies, they're, you, you watch them years later and you're, you you love them because of the nostalgia. Christmas movies want you to feel that the first time you watch the yeah. movie. Yeah. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, everybody kind of wants to feel like a kid again at Christmas, mm-hmm. you know? 
Yeah. But I think you have to put enough time and enough effort into that writing or even rewriting process. I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is something that stands on its own, but it's also arguably a rehash of A Christmas Carol. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. But there was enough time put into it, into rewriting it, into rehashing it, that it ended up its own thing. Yeah. You know, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I think another thing (laughs) that helps make a good Christmas movie... um, not that you can't have a good low budget Christmas movie, but if you're gonna do any kind of special effect, you kinda need to throw enough money at it. This is very true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There there's definitely their fair share in modern day specifically with CGI and that sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas previously eh, I'm sure it even holds true just with more practical effects back in the day, but um for sure in the current day, uh, because magic tends to be a big part mm-hmm. of Christmas movies, doesn't yeah. always, but you know, often if you're dealing with Santa or reindeer or that sort of thing, there tends to be some element of like CGI involved with that, and it can be very cheesy and bad very easily. Yeah, if there's not enough money put into it. So yeah, and and that is the thing that I find interesting about. Christmas movies in general is that that line is so fine and so thin that like if you breathe too hard or make one teeny tiny wrong move it catapults your whole movie into the bad category yeah you know it's interesting I would say that that I think I there's a uh when we were going to do this movie in place of Christmas of the Cranks, but it was the first thing that jumped to my mind in terms of one that I think kind of rides the line where I know some people don't like it and some people do mm-hmm. is like Polar Express. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. I think a lot of people find the stop motion, like the motion capture creepy. Yeah. The, I, that's what I'm saying. Whereas that's kind of what we're talking about with the CGI type mm-hmm. of thing. And now they put a bunch of money into that movie. Um, was like was it the technology? Just I think it was just the technology yet? at the time was just yeah. right on that. It's the the uncanny valley level mm-hmm. of you know it was right at a place where you could kind of make humans <laughs> it look came out kind of uncomfortable. Kind of make kind of came out <laughs> uncomfortable, but so that's writing that line. But there seems to be plenty of people who are able to look right past that and don't care about it at all because it, it plays on TV all the time. It's our local theater is showing it Mm -hmm. as part of their like run of Christmas movies with Christmas vacation and the Grinch, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas, you know, like all the like classic Christmas, uh, it's a wonderful life. All these classic Christmas movies. They're also showing polar express in that run. Well, yeah. And I think, I think we take taste into account the same way we would for any other genre. Yeah. But I think more so than any other genre with Christmas movies, we have to take it back to that nostalgia thing. Yeah. Too. Because people are going to feel nostalgia for what they grew up with, regardless of whether or not it's a quality piece of work. True. Absolutely. And and, and just because I mentioned it earlier and I did want to talk about it specifically, and I think it's an important element of it, is like you mentioned, um, personal taste. Yeah. Because like for me... I I can enjoy a lot of I enjoy a lot of different Christmas movies, but the ones that really work for me because I'm not religious, because I don't identify at all with any sort of the vaguely like spiritual, not even vaguely, any of the explicit or vaguely spiritual elements of Christmas movies. 
the ones that work for me are the ones that are about family that are ones Mm -hmm. that are about um uh, you know coming together with people and the joy of of giving you know giving during the uh, christmas time um and, and that that a lot and the ones that i like one of my favorite christmas movies is a christmas story and uh, that it applies hard in the in the nostalgia oh, yeah. and, and not even nostalgia from a time i'm from but just anybody can watch that and feel nostalgia for the time yeah for, a kid. for being a kid on christmas yeah. morning yeah uh, but and, and you know the relationship with your parents and wanting this thing and it, it's there's commercialism mixed in it there's all kinds of elements to a christmas story um but none of them in a christmas story are anything to do with religion or god really mm-hmm. like there's a vague mention to it but not really it's about santa claus it's about that sort of thing and so those are the ones that work the most for me but even that that being said i can still appreciate movies like that do kind of have that element like it's a wonderful life i think because overall the message of the wonderful life while there are like angels and stuff is more mm-hmm. to do with like making sure you live a a good life yeah. and and that yeah. you are important to other people in your life yeah. and that sort of thing and, and appreciating I, yeah, and your I'm, life. I'm a sucker for that kind of story too i i'm not super religious i'm more spiritual yeah i think <laughs> but um but also christmas is really yule yeah and yule is about brightness during the darkest time of the year yeah yeah for sure i, I i'm saying i'm i'm I, you, you won't get no argument from me. I'm, I'm aware of the history of Christmas. I've heard it from my dad a million times. But uh, no, my point was just that a lot of, regardless of what the actual history of and what Christmas is, uh, is that a lot of Christmas movies, mm-hmm. because they're made in America by about Christmas in America that is in in america 980 percent of the people are christians or whatever yeah um tend to have our christian bent to them um but anyways yeah my favorite christmas movie as you all well know if you listen to our show and have been listening to our show is a muppet christmas carol it's not christmas until i watch a muppet christmas carol it's one of my favorites i'm also a sucker for the the classic rankin bass tv specials Rudolph and Santa Claus is coming to town. Year Without a Santa Claus is probably my favorite one of those. Yeah. And that's all wrapped up in nostalgia. Yeah. Those are okay. I like those fine. Um, I'm a big fan. Christmas Story is probably my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. I say probably. I I can't imagine what else I would put above it. Um, I also do really like... Um, what was the first one you said? Muppet Christmas Carol. Muppet Christmas Carol uh, is... Is up there. I like a lot of the different Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. I think the message in them overall is pretty good, um, and I I, I I I like all of them. We've talked about that on the on our Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. One. I'm fan, I'm a big fan of the Patrick Stewart one just because I grew up a Star Trek fan and I like Patrick Stewart. But uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, I think, is probably a better movie than that one. Uh, and Christmas Story, and I like uh, the animated Grinch movie a lot. What's a Rankin Bass one? The animated Grinch is Rankin so. Bass. Yeah. I mean, okay, people connect the name Rankin Bass with, like, the um, the puppets, like, Rudolph and that. Yeah, the stop often. motion. Yeah, the stop motion. But, like, Frosty is also a Rankin Bass Christmas special, and I'm pretty sure the animated Grinch is. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I well. mean, that for a while there, they were putting one out every year, so they had to do something. Yeah. There's also a lot of, like, lesser-known Rankin Bass, like my sister and I watch Jack Frost every year. Yeah, you do. 
It's like half an hour long. Deal with it. I know. It's just I don't. It's it is very short. Yeah, it just doesn't do a lot for me. But it is very. But short. it's not. It's not good, right? Yeah. It's not good the way that like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer or Year Without a Santa Claus are good. But there is a there's a nostalgia factor for us because mm-hmm. we watched it when we were kids. You know, so we don't really care that it's not that good. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas was not Rankin Bass. Oh well. Um, it was. I was wrong. Those are the directors, right? Or the. That's the studio. Of the studio. Well, I think. I thought that was okay. Well, it was directed by Chuck Jones, who directed um, a bunch of uh, like the uh, the Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think it's. Oh well, not that one. Yeah. No, a lot did, of other but stuff. They yeah. did do animated. No, they did. They, yeah, specials. There's, uh, they're a, just more well known for their name is more connected with stop motion. Yeah, they have some traditional animation, but yeah, um, and, yeah, they did do Frosty's Winter Wonderland, like you said. But um, no, not the okay. I didn't think so, but I wasn't sure. Cool. That was our discussion of good Christmas movies, bad Christmas movies, and kind of our favorite Christmas movies mixed in there. Uh, let's move on and preview. Skipping Christmas. In this friendly little town, there lived an enchanting family named the Cranks. Every year, they would celebrate Christmas together. Merry Christmas! Until the year their daughter Blair left for the holidays. This won't be the same. Then, Luther got a brilliant idea. We skip Christmas. We'll go bask in the Caribbean sun. We skip Christmas? Well, Skipping Christmas is a 2001 comedy novel, um, although at 198 pages, I would almost call it more of a novella. Yeah, it's pretty short. Yeah, that's pretty short. Um, it's by John Grisham. Uh, <laughs> I did not realize yeah. that when we when we were going to do it. Yeah, uh, better, much better known for his political thrillers. Um, I, I had never heard of this. I didn't realize that Christmas with the Cranks was based on a book. Um, I went to look it up, and I was like, Skipping Christmas by John, John Grisham. Grisham. <laughs> All right. Okay, if you say so, Mr. Grisham. So it was published by Doubleday in, uh, on November 6th of 2001, and it reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list by December 9th of that same year. Um, so clearly people were in the Christmas mood. Yep. They were in the mood for some... Uh, John Grisham Christmas stories. Despite that, however, um, it, reviewers seemed to feel kind of meh about it, um, based on what I found. Uh, Publishers Weekly wrote, For all its clever curmudgeonly edge and minor charms, no way does this Christmas yarn from Grisham rank with A Christmas Carol, as the publisher claims nor does it rank with Grisham's own best work. The premise is terrific, as you'd expect from Grisham, but as clever as this setup is, its elaboration is ho-hum. Hold on. For all, uh, quote, for all its clever curmudgeonly edge and minor charms, end quote, maybe the most eloquent way of saying <laughs> okay, boomer, I've ever heard. <laughs> Anyways. Um, also, based on, I didn't check this, so take this with however many grains of salt, 
but based on that quote, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that the publisher made the mistake of comparing this book to another Why book. Why would you, you First of all, you should never do that. Ever. Ever. You're, in, you're inviting a lot when Ever. you do that. But to do that with a story as universally known and beloved as A Christmas Carol? Right. What were you thinking, right. Doubleday? Guys, guess what? This movie I just made? Citizen fucking Kane. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Yeah, you invite that comparison. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that was Publishers Weekly. Um, Entertainment Weekly uh, gave the book a C plus and said, even at 177 mini pages, Skipping Christmas feels padded. Despite a few nicely observed details, Grisham mostly trades in stale fruitcake jokes and sub-Christmas vacation slapstick. Wow. Which is pretty savage. People were fucking mean to John Grisham. He did not have a Merry Christmas that year. I mean, he's, he's dead because he sold yeah, a million, jillion book books really well. or I'm sure he was feeling fine that Christmas. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> But yeah, the critics, they were not on board. Not big fans. Um, so I didn't really find any other like fun facts. Um, but <laughs> I did come across one thing that made me laugh when I was on Goodreads. Um, so Goodreads has a feature where you can like ask questions about a yeah. book. Um, yeah. People answer. A, a lot of people use it to ask, like, yeah, is this appropriate for kids? What not? Right, I'm that a I'm a third thing. grade teacher. Can yeah, I have... can I can I have my class read this, right. or am I going to get angry parents right. knocking down my doors? Um, but the featured question when I went to the Goodreads page for this book was uh, someone named Kathy <laughs> asking, "Is this a good suggestion for a church book club?" Oh, it would be Kathy. And the answer from Sophie is just, no, definitely not. <laughs> All right. Well, now, now you have my attention. <laughs> you have my attention, Mr. Grisham. Uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely not. So that tickled me. That's uh, good. That's good. <laughs> That's it for the book facts. Let's go ahead and talk about the 2004 film, Christmas with the Cranks. Tim Allen. Your face. It's like it's frozen. I got a Botox injection today. Luther. <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks. As I said, this is a 2004 film directed by Joe Roth, who's primarily producer, uh, but he also has six directing credits, including Revenge of the Nerds 2 and a film called America's Sweethearts. Those were like the two biggest ones, and I even, I mean, All right. Revenge of the Nerds I've seen and heard so of. So we're hot out of the gate Revenge here, of the Joe. Nerds 2, I don't know <laughs> what the feelings are I on didn't that even one. know that movie had a sequel, so. I think it had two sequels. I think there's a Revenge of the Nerds 3. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like five sequels. There's I, that was That's one of those titles that wouldn't surprise me if there was a bunch of like, in like the 90s and 2000s, yeah. they made like. Really just get, cheap, like steadily cheaper. Like like the American Pie series yeah. that eventually were direct to DVD. Like you know what I mean? There's just like yeah, wouldn't surprise me. It was written by Chris Columbus, uh, who wrote The this Goonies, man. Gremlins, etc., a bunch of other stuff. 
Uh, he also, more famously, is a director and a producer. Uh, he directed Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, Home Alone 2, Harry Potter 1 and 2. Uh, he was a producer on uh, the museum movies. Um, um, Night at the Museum. I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He might have directed the first. Uh, I can't I remember now. Yeah. He's directed a fair number of movies we've done because yes. <laughs> he does that literary adaptation thing. The film stars Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Dan Aykroyd, and a, a supporting cast of other people. Uh, I put Dan Aykroyd on there. He's also technically a supporting actor. It's mainly uh, yeah. Those Tim were Allen like the three biggest names. They're the though, three right? biggest yeah. names, though. Yeah. So Joe Roth got an advanced copy of this book from John Grisham. Gave him a uh, whatever that's called when you send somebody an advanced copy to read and like galley. It's called an advanced copy. No, it's called a galley book. <laughs> oh, he sent him a um, galley. Yeah, a galley. Yeah. That's what it said on Wikipedia. I know what it meant. So, um, but he assumed that Joe Roth could make a movie based on his books. Which, all right, Grisham, Mister. I mean, I guess when you're John Grisham, sure. But he's like, you should make a movie out of this here. <laughs> I mean, his first book was A Time to Kill. Fair enough. So. Fair enough. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> we're gonna have to do that yeah, someday. Gonna... <laughs> I assume that lines in the in the book. <laughs> Uh, I've never actually seen the movie. I've just seen that line. <laughs> uh, later, Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus, uh, came to Joe Roth with a script he had written, and he wanted Roth to direct it. And Roth was like, why aren't you going to direct it? And he's like, no, you need to direct it. And he's like, you're Chris Columbus. And he's like, you direct it. And he's like, okay, fine. I feel like Chris Columbus should have directed <laughs> it. But I mean, say what you will about Chris Columbus. Some of his movies are quite good. <laughs> we should revisit that question after we watch the movie yeah we'll see i i'm just saying home alone's a delightful Could chris film. columbus have saved this movie yeah we'll see we'll see it may be the script yeah which chris columbus wrote or he didn't direct home alone he you know he did direct home alone he didn't write home alone so we'll try to assess but you would think that you know you that if you directed some good christmas movie yeah. like home alone yeah. you get a feel for like what the elements you need to incorporate but and well. harry potter which have become honorary christmas movies well, according and those, to the tv schedule true but he did those later those were after oh no this was before you're right yeah. holy cow yeah. harry potter came out before this movie all right boy anyways um and they were apparently both super amped to make this film because they both had like been planning since before the book came out to wow. make this movie, which, boy. But I will say, based on the reviews the book got, maybe they did it perfectly because the movie got <laughs> equally terrible reviews. <laughs> um, uh, so they didn't use the title of the book, which is, like you said, Skipping Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't use it because they wanted to avoid confusion with another Christmas movie that came out in 2004, which was titled Surviving Christmas. I have no memory of that. Me either, but they didn't want a skipping Christmas and a surviving Christmas, so they changed theirs up. Uh, now we're going to get into the IMDb trivia, so take this with a pound of fake snow. During filming, <laughs> it was reported that the cast and crew had ingested over 10 pounds of fake snow. There's no way that's a real fact, and how they would ever know it. It's bullshit. Also, but it was the first I... one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would do harm to you. Well, but back in the day when they used to use asbestos, yes. Currently, they use like something that's like food grade or oh, something, okay. probably. I think they, I guess I was thinking like little bits of plastic or something. Well, yeah, like, that would stuff you up. I think they <laughs> I, it depends on for certain things. See, because this could mean anything. If it, yeah. even if it's true, like it could mean 
in some scenes, like if they're throwing snowballs at each other's faces, it might be made of like they could be calling fake snow like they shaved ice. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they used Hawaiian shaved ice and like th- like who knows? Ingesting all that water. Other other scenes, it could be like literally like potato flakes or something. Yeah. You never. I, who knows? But. I also just don't believe that trivia fact at all. <laughs> By the way, don't believe anything on the IMDb trivia facts. It's like 90% fake. Um, that's probably not true, but it's up there. During there's, there's a scene in the movie where Tim Allen is stuck hanging from the roof. Mm-hmm. And I, why didn't we leave him there? I'll never know. Um, <laughs> fuck Tim Allen. <laughs> you can see one of the firemen get hit in the face with a ladder. Right, we're going to be on the lookout so look, for be that. On the lookout for that. Tim Allen's hanging from the roof. Fire, fireman hit in the face with a ladder. Great stuff. Uh, potential casting role. There was like a million of these, and this was the only interesting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Carrey was considered for the role of Luther Crank, who I assume is Tim Allen's character. Yes. Um, and based on, I've read about half of the book, and based on that, can't imagine Jim Carrey doing it. Tim Allen, I can totally see. Seems like apt casting. Jim Carrey, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he was considered. He wasn't offered the role. I so. don't know. This is the first Christmas movie of Tim Allen's career not associated with the Santa Claus trilogy. <laughs> but he's been in five. so huh. uh, He was in five at the time that the IMDb trivia was written, which who knows when that was. Yeah. It may have been in more since then. When the power goes out in the film, Luther, uh, who is Tim Allen's character, asks Vic, who is played by Dan Aykroyd, mm-hmm. if he knows anybody at Con Ed. This is a sweet, deep-cut reference for all of you Ghostbusters <laughs> fans out there. I had to include this fun fact. He he asked Vic if he knows anybody at Con Ed. In Ghostbusters 2, Dan Aykroyd's character, Vankman? I can't remember. Oh, don't come at me. I don't, it's been a while since <laughs> I've seen Ghostbusters. I think you're right. I think it's Vankman, but I can't remember for sure. They pretend to be... Him and the other Ghostbusters pretend to be from Con Ed when they're digging a hole in the street. It's the scene where they find the goo mm. in the sewer. Um, they pretend to be from Con Ed. And so it's a little nod to that when Tim Allen's like, you know anybody from Con Ed? A little, little inside joke I like there. That's a fun little inside yeah. joke. Well done, writers. Finally, and this is a massive spoiler from IMDb. I can't believe they spoiled this. This is normally would be a was that in the book, but they slapped it right on the IMDb trivia page, and I was spoiled, and I was so furious. Quote, in the movie, Blair's plane arrives home at 8 p.m. In the novel on which the movie is based, Blair's flight arrives home at 6 p.m. What? I haven't even gotten there in the book yet. Now it's spoiled for me. Movie too. ruined. Movie ruined. Why Pack you just it up, change guys. It? We Ugh. can't do this anymore. Why would you make such of just abject changes to the book for no reason? Her plane arrives home to her, right? It's his daughter. Yeah. Plane arrives home two hours early. Can't believe it. Ugh. I was like, why is this in the IMDb trivia facts? Hollywood just what? making changes. Why would they put this in the I trivia facts? It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Uh, I couldn't believe it was there. I had to put it in the notes. That was all I had for the movie facts. Um, Katie, I realized as I was reading about this movie that I've seen it. Oh, have you? Like years ago. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it like on TV or something yeah. a couple years after it came out. I remember very little about it. But I do, when I was reading the premise about how they decide, and skipping Christmas is a better 
title because I remember that they decide Tim Allen decides he wants to skip Christmas because his daughter's not there or whatever mm-hmm. and he's like screw it we're going on a cruise yeah. like we're not doing Christmas I, I remember at least seeing some of if not all of this movie but I remember very little about the details yeah. so <laughs> um, yeah skipping Christmas I mean that tells you everything you need to know yeah. about the story yeah. Christmas with the cranks is like, well, who are the cranks? Yeah. Why would I want to spend Christmas with y- them? You assume based on the cranks name that they're like cranky. Yeah, that it's gonna be like a Scroogey yeah. type thing, and you know it doesn't tell you a lot. But skipping Christmas is a great title. They should have forced whoever made Surviving Christmas to change their movie title. Um, well, Surviving Christmas is a 2004 American romantic comedy, um, starring. Ben Affleck, James Gandolfini, Christina Applegate, and Catherine O'Hara. There you go. Zero memory of that. Nope. Nothing. Nope, not at all. <laughs> and this 2004, this was like right in my wheelhouse of when I would have been interested in bad romantic comedy. This was like yeah, start like 16, of high school. Right? Yeah, yeah, like 15. 15. Yeah. No yeah. memory of this. Who knows? Anyways, that's going to do it for this episode. Go out. uh, I believe this is on something. It was on. Wasn't um, it on Netflix? I think we did see it on Netflix. I think we looked it up and saw that it was on Netflix. I'm pretty sure. So you can check this out on Netflix if you have Netflix. Or Uh, you can go to your local library. Go to your local library. As we always say, support your local libraries. They really need you. um, And they do great stuff. So go support your local libraries. uh, And then watch Christmas with the Granks. We're going to be talking about it in two weeks, right before Christmas. Literally. The day before, no, on Christmas, yeah. most of you, patrons, you'll be getting it on Christmas Eve. Um, but most of you will be getting this episode on Christmas Day, which means nobody will listen to it. Last year when we released well, no, our episode, thanks. like, right before Christmas, like, we had, like, no listeners on that episode. Hey, listen, when you're stuck at your family Christmas. That's the thing. And you don't want to interact with your relatives anymore. Yep. Here we are, waiting drive, to save you. Your drive home, maybe you're doing Christmas that weekend. Yeah. And you need to drive your, your commute back and forth, you're traveling. Check it out, Christmas with the Cranks, we'll talk about it. You can watch it on Netflix beforehand. And until that time, guys, gals, not binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.